I, I want to talk about the idea of inspiration, and certainly in this setting, it's appropriate. Before I begin, I just want to plant this seed. You never, ever know where inspiration will come. Am I right? I mean, it could be from a conversation with someone at your table. It could be from reading an article in a magazine. It could be reading a book. It could be watching a television show, going to a concert, watching a movie, listening to a speaker. You never know. But the difference between being inspired and taking action is really what I'm here to talk with you about today. And I really hope sincerely that something that I will say today that might trigger you to think about things a little bit differently or to care for yourself in a more active and conscious way, um, just to, to understand and think about how important it is to take care of yourself. I'll give you an example. Three years ago, my husband and I, it was an exciting Saturday night in the Miller household. We were watching TV, and it was coming on 8.45. Now, I don't know about you, but if we don't start watching a movie by 9 o'clock, I'm done. <laughs> I cannot stay up to watch the end of it, and even then, I think it's pushing it. But anyway, we were going through the clicker, and there was just nothing on, hundreds of channels, nothing that was on, or at least nothing that we both wanted to watch at the same time. Finally, we're, we're, we're looking, going through the list on Netflix, and we see a, a film that's noted, that was on there, and we like the actor, Martin Sheen. I had heard a little bit about the story, and it was from 2010, and it was called The Way. Has anyone here seen that movie or heard of it? Write it down. <laughs> so we watched this movie, and it was about a, a father and a son, and I won't spoil it for you because it starts in the very beginning to tell you, but Martin Sheen is this 75-year-old optometrist from California who was pretty cranky, very successful financially, but not, not in his heart and, and not spiritually. And he ended up in Spain walking the Camino de Santiago. Have you ever heard of the Camino de Santiago? So the, it, this is, and I didn't know this, didn't know anything about it. it. There are three significant pilgrimages in the Christian world, and that is Jerusalem, Rome, and Santiago. And the bones of the Apostle St. James are said to be buried in, under the cathedral in Santiago. For thousands of years, pilgrims or people have walked to Santiago. It's a really big deal in Europe and all over the world, and not so much here in the United States. But this movie was how Martin Sheen walked 500 miles from France all the way across northern Spain to Santiago. So we watched this movie. It's good. It you know, has some humor. It's got a good story. It's inspiring. And after the movie's over, my husband, who's 63 at the time, said, you know, I think I want to do that. And I gave him the best wife look ever. Like, really? Are you kidding me? You know, this is not an athletic person. He doesn't go hiking. He doesn't, you know, run marathons or do anything like that. So I pretty much ignored him. You know what you do. And he started training, and he started visiting REI, the, the, the shop to buy stuff. He started ordering backpacks online, and I thought, I think he's serious about this. Anyway, he was serious. And a year later, after about nine months of training, I drove him to the airport. And this is a man who'd never been to Europe by himself. We had been, our, my family's from Ireland, and we'd been to Ireland many times, but never to the continent. Spoke no Spanish, didn't know anyone else. It was not a tour group. He went by himself with a 20-pound backpack to walk from France to Santiago across northern Spain and stay in hostels along the way. And he did it. And he was inspired by a movie on a Saturday night. So you just never know where you will find an idea and a seed will be planted, and I hope that I'll plant a seed or two today. So keep that in mind, and I've, don't say I didn't warn you, okay? So when I think about taking a leap, a leap of faith, about doing things differently, about acting on inspiration, this is an image that I have actually as the screensaver on my laptop because um, it's important no matter what age you're at or what stage you're at 
to look for new opportunities. And I'm gonna be 60 in November. And right now, as, as um, Dick mentioned, I, I have a PDJ, pesky day job. And I work for the University of Michigan. And I'm looking at November 19th, uh, 2019, as really taking a leap of faith so that as I have more and more speaking engagements lined up, that I will be doing that full time and traveling the country and sharing the messages that I have about self-care and really um, looking to support caregivers. And that's why I'm here today. Have you ever heard of the caregiver generation, excuse me, the sandwich generation. Anybody ever heard of that? So the, if, you, if you haven't, the sandwich generation, it was a term that was coined in the 1980s. I didn't make it up. And it's about people who are caring for generations on either side. They're aging, frail, elderly parents and kids at home, when often boomerang kids. They left and they've come back. Um, and, and if you are in the sandwich generation, you're in the middle. You're taking care of both sides. So what I often think about is being in the caregiver sandwich. So a friend of mine, she works for a local theater group and she builds props and she's really talented. She's also really weird. And I love her very much, very talented. And she said to me one day, you know, Brita, you're doing all this work with the caregivers, the caregiver sandwich. I'm going to make something for you. I said, really, Chris, what are you going to make? <laughs> she said, I think you're going to like it. So she made this for me, and I travel with it. It's really fun when I go through the airport through TSA. But it is, uh, it's a good visual, just in case you're not clear on the concept here, right? So if you've ever been in the caregiver sandwich, so one slice of bread might represent, and everybody's sandwich is different, right? I mean, it might be your parents and your kids, or it might be a really demanding job, and maybe a really demanding pet, you know, a little dog that really needs, I don't know. But if you ever feel squeezed because you're being asked to take care of all kinds of people at all kinds of places all the time, has anybody ever felt kind of squeezed by those responsibilities? Yes? Yeah, it's not just me. But the thing to remember is, the essence of the sandwich is the filling, am I right? I mean, did you ever go into a, into a deli or a place and say, I'd like a whole wheat sandwich, please? Or do you have any rye bread sandwiches? I'd really like that. No, you'll ask for a grilled cheese sandwich or a BLT or a peanut butter and jelly. It's all about the filling. The filling is the essence and without the filling, all you've got is toast. So just think about that when you are feeling squeezed by responsibilities that you need to take care of yourself because you're the one that's holding it all together. So oftentimes people will say to me, oh, you know, Breed, I, I would love to do that, but I just can't. I just feel so guilty. I just feel so guilty about going for a walk or going to a movie or I, can't, I don't have time to take a bubble bath. Oh, no, 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 I got to take a shower, get in, get out. I, gotta t I, I got people I got to take care of. And sometimes you need to find that time, that moment that you take care of yourself. Because if you don't, it's not going to end well. Then there's going to be another person who needs to be taken care of, and it's you. So the caregiver sandwich is something that, we'll keep this up here as a little visual aid. And afterwards, I've had many people, let's see if it's going to work here, a little tipsy. Um, that people have wanted to take a, a selfie with it. So afterwards, um, we'll have, we have a table outside, and if you want to take a picture of you wearing the sandwich head, you're welcome to do that. So it's a, it's a fun thing to do. If you need proof, if your family doesn't believe that you are in the sandwich, you can share that with them. In fact, this is, uh, this is a copy, uh, a picture of uh, my sandwich, part of it. So this is my mom celebrating her 80th birthday, and she wanted to go to Connor O'Neill's Irish Pub in Ann Arbor uh, with my daughter, Chloe. And um, I love that picture. Mom just was really in her prime. She lived with us for about eight years, and she had had a fall and had suffered a stroke but didn't have any ramifications, but she couldn't live on her own. So she lived with us, and uh, it, was, it was really, really good until it wasn't, until it was really hard. So we'll, we will talk about that. 
So I want to say to you, in fact, let me just back up and I will tell you the story. I call it my Thursday story. So mom was really declining. She was really becoming more and more frail. And I have three children, all teenagers, two boys with special needs, and not physical problems so much. Um, my youngest had had a, a severe cleft lip and palate, but all those surgeries were behind him. But both of them had cognitive impairments, low IQ. And um, my daughter was in the middle of a, a bad breakup with a boyfriend, and she was having a really hard time, and she was staying with friends a lot, and mom was really, really declining. I had an office in my home. I never got to leave, so you know, I, I like to think I had the worst of both worlds because I, I had the phone was ringing, I'm writing proposals, I have to take care of things, take care of mom, take care of the kids. And this Thursday, I had already changed mom's bedding four times in one day. The dog threw up on the carpet. The phone's ringing off the hook. I had not slept maybe two hours the night before. I was not in a good place. And it was shower day. And the, one of the most terrifying things for me as a caregiver was giving my mom a shower. I wasn't trained, I wasn't qualified, I didn't know how to do it, and I was so worried she was gonna fall, and she was so worried she was gonna fall, and it was one of the most stressful things, just knowing this was shower day. And at four o'clock, my sweet son, Evan, who was 15 at the time, said, Mom, what's for dinner? <sighs> I... I just lost it, I went into the bathroom, I just crumpled on the floor and I started to cry. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't keep this pace, I cannot do this anymore by myself. My husband was great, but he worked midnights. So he would sleep during the day and then we needed to be quiet and then he was gone during the night. And I was just over the edge, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Well, I did, I had received an invitation from a friend of mine who, I don't know about you, but I have circles of friends and some I know better than others. And these were friends that I knew, saw them about once or twice a year. And she was having a, a 4th of July picnic. This was the end of June. And so I had made arrangements for a neighbor lady to come in and stay with mom so that my husband and I could go for an outing. And I felt guilty about it. I felt guilty about leaving. And it was only for a few hours. So we're there and I, I start talking. And I remember one of my friends was a social worker. And I just let it all out. And I said, I don't know what to do. She's sleeping all the time. She's talking to people who are not there. I, I don't know how I can do this much longer. What I didn't remember or didn't know was that my friend who was a social worker was a hospice social worker. And she said to me in the kindest way, she said, Brita, have you, have you thought about getting her assessed for hospice care? And my first thought was, oh, no, 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 she's not that bad. You know, because I'm thinking hospice means you've given up, it's the end, you know, the death is imminent, it's bad. And she said, well, you do know all the services that hospice can provide, don't you? And I said, services? She said, yeah. You know, they can send a home health care worker that will give your mom showers, and they will send medicine to the house, and there will be nurses who will come and visit your mom at your house so you don't have to take her to the doctor's office. And they have to assess her health and see if they think that she's within six months or so of the end of her life. But then you would qualify. And I said, well, you know, we, we don't have money to pay for all of that. And she said, oh no, this is, there's no charge. If your mom has Medicare, this is all covered by Medicare. You don't pay a cent. I said, hello. <laughs> so, we made some phone calls, the doctors were involved, and the nurses, we made the appointment, and two days later, Margaret, the nurse, showed up at my house to do an assessment and to do a little interview. So Margaret and I sat in the kitchen, and we spoke for about 45 minutes, and she told me all about hospice care and what they could do and how it would work, because I knew nothing. And then she said, you know, we should go meet your mom. And I said, yes. And my mom was a very pragmatic, practical woman, but I was scared. I was scared to make this introduction to transfer from home health care now to hospice care. So I brought Margaret into mom's room. She was seated in her wingback chair, and she was dressed quite nicely. She was feeling good that day. And I said, Mom, I want to introduce you to Margaret. She's with hospice, and they're going to help us. 
See, my mom never wanted to be a burden to me. And if anything I needed to get done, if I could position it that this was going to help me and help our family, she was pretty much going to go along with it. And I said, they're, they're going to provide nurses and healthcare workers that are going to come in, and I think it's really going to help me. And my mom sat there, she smiled, and she put her hand out, and she said to Margaret, I'm delighted to meet you. I know all about hospice. You're a great group. I'm not ready to croak yet, but I'll take all the help I can get. I wish I had a camera for Margaret's face at that moment, because I don't think that's usually the reaction she gets. But I asked Mom, I said, Mom, we've got papers. Do you want to sign them yourself? Indeed, I do. She signed all of her own papers. The next day, packages arrived at my doorstep with disposable underwear. And I have to say that I never use the term diapers for anybody over the age of three. It's not helpful, it's demeaning, and it really isn't a positive thing. So this was disposable underwear, came free of charge to us. Medicine was delivered, all of her prescriptions. The, the home health care workers came, the nurses came. It was fabulous. My mom lived another seven months, and she got better, and she perked up, and it was, it was an amazing, amazing thing. I want to tell you, hospice saved my life, and I had no idea. So this was a picture of my mom near the end of her life, and a volunteer from hospice was a photographer, and he would, if one, there's so many people that volunteer services, and they said, you know, would you, do you, would you like a portrait? You know, the, a photographer could come out and do a portrait of you and your mom. Just a week earlier, she had mentioned to me she had this beautiful salmon-colored silk suit, and she said, you know, I wish I could wear that suit, and I'm thinking, Mom, we're not really going anywhere at this point, you know, in my head, trying to be practical. And when they called about the photographer, I said, yes, and I know exactly what she's going to want to wear. So that's Mom in her silk suit. So the care, there's three caregiver challenges that if you're, how many here are, are currently working as caregivers or, or in a caregiving role? Yes. You know, Rosalind Carter says there are four kinds of people in the world. Those who were caregivers, those who are caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregivers. So I think it pretty much covers it. But there are three challenges that I realized about caregivers that I wish I had known about. I wish I could tell you that from listening to this talk, I got all the answers and I can solve it and I'll have a magic wand. That's not the case. But I think if I had known these things ahead of time, I might have been better prepared. I could see things coming, and I could switch gears to, to adapt. So those three things are frustration, exhaustion, and isolation. And they're all wrapped up in a big wet blanket of guilt that no matter what you're doing, you're going to feel it's not enough because there's no frame of reference to know. I remember thinking, I'm just not good at this. Other people have it figured out. Other caregivers are doing a better job than me. And the frustration came from what worked today, particularly if you're caring for someone with dementia, isn't going to work tomorrow, because maybe they really liked macaroni and cheese yesterday. And you make macaroni and cheese for dinner today, won't touch it, don't like it. People change dramatically as they age and as different abilities diminish. And so you, as a caregiver, have to be quick on your feet and think, oh, okay, well then how about we try this and go to a different way. Exhaustion was another one that I wasn't prepared for. I had a baby monitor in my bedroom because my bedroom was on the second floor, mom's room was on the first floor, and I needed to hear her. Well, unfortunately, I heard her all night when she was wrestling with some tissues to put it in a plastic bag, I would hear that and I would wake up. So I didn't get good sleep during the night because I was always on edge. Does that sound familiar to you? Another thing that I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for was isolation. When my kids were little, there were mom's groups. We would come to the, the co-op preschool we would meet each other at, you know, kindergarten roundup, or when kids were in school, you'd sit on the bleachers and talk to other parents. But when I started caring for my mother, my world got really small, and I had no frame of reference about what was normal 
And other people were going through this very same thing, but nobody talked about it. And I didn't know. And I felt very, very isolated. And the guilt is, as I said, I just really, uh, it, it just made everything so much harder. So you have to be gentle with yourself. The demands, I think, are mental, physical, and emotional. And so you have to take care of yourself so that you can give your best to the people that are in your care. It's not selfish. In fact, one of the things that I, uh, I think about are uh, the patron saint of caregivers, Saint Gumby, you know. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. So just think Gumby. What would Gumby do? No, but think, what, how can you be flexible to adapt to the situation? And don't live in the land of, well, last week you said this, or we used to do that, because now we're forging ahead. It's a new path. It's a different way, and you have to find the resources that are external, and it might be a wonderful church community like this group here where you can get support and get help. It may be healthcare professionals, it may be other organizations, but don't hold it all inside. You need to reach out and find resources, people that are gonna help you out. There you go. So this was truly the image that I was feeling an awful lot at night, just not being able to sleep. And when I, didn't, when I don't sleep, I'm not my best self. Do you ever feel that way? You're just cranky. Things wear you out. I remember when my daughter said to me one time, Mom, I think you need to take a nap. <laughs> it's like, yes, I do. <laughs> I know that feeling very, very well. And I wasn't listening. And my mom, when she was near the end of her life, she had some dementia. She had um, her, her um, what's the word, cardiac, um, congestive heart failure. And so it was a long, slow process. But a lot of times the blood wasn't going to her brain, so she experienced some vascular dementia, and it would come and go. And, you know, sometimes in hindsight it was funny because there were the two Britas, you know, the, the good Brita and the bad Brita. And the bad Brita would make her take medicine or not give her coffee at midnight, you know, really awful things like that. And then the good Brita would be, and they would show up all day long, and she'd tell me things about the other Brita which I loved, because then I would get the scoop on what was really going on with her. Anyway, one day, she was sitting in her chair, and I could tell she was really anxious. She was rubbing her hands together, and she actually had been asking me several times about the bus schedule to Dublin, to Ireland. And I tried to change the subject. I said, oh, Mom, you know, the buses from Michigan to Dublin are not very reliable, you know, not going to work out. And she'd say, oh, they're much better now. And I would say, would you like to have another cup of tea? And I would just change the subject every opportunity that I could. Anyway, this went on, and she would always come back. She, would, she was not going to let this go. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm stressed because I realize how much she's declining, and I'm really worried about what's going to happen next. One day, she's sitting there, and she said, I just don't know what to do. And I could tell she was really worried, and I had gotten a good night's sleep the night before is the only reason that I could say, because this is a miracle that happened. And I said, Mom, what's, what's wrong? She said, it's that Brida. I said, really, what did she do now? Well, I keep asking her for the bus schedule to Dublin, and she just won't get it for me. And I said, Mom, I'm here today. Don't you worry about that. I'm going to go to the computer, and I'm going to figure it out. I had no idea what I was going to do. <laughs> so I walked over to my desk, and I flipped open my computer, and I, I took a deep breath, and I thought, what could I do? And then I thought about my mom and what was meaningful to her. My mom loved to travel. She emigrated from Ireland in 1957. She traveled to visit her brother in South Africa. She was happiest in her life when she knew she was going on a trip, and she'd say, "I." booked my flight today. And she'd bring up her suitcase from the basement and leave it out. She would pack, but just knowing that the trip was down the road, she would be happy. So I thought about it, and I thought, what about if I got her a fake airline ticket? 
Maybe that would help out. So I, I Googled fake airline ticket. By the way, I am not teaching you to create false documents or anything. Remember that now. So I Googled fake airline ticket. And what popped up on the screen was a template for a boarding pass. And I thought, OK. So it's a departing airport, DTW, no problem, arriving airport. Now, this was tricky, because I could have put Dublin in there, because I know that airport name. I thought, hmm. I typed in heaven, and it took it. There is no short code for heaven. It's the whole word, and it takes it, just so you know. So I typed in heaven. And then I typed in my mom's name, Mary Kelly. I looked at it again, and, and then um, travel dates, and I typed open. It worked. I looked at this boarding pass, and it said first class. Of course, why not? And then I looked at it again, and, and it said American Airlines. My brother works for American Airlines, and my mom is really proud of this fact that he's worked there for 20 years, and she tells everyone, this was perfect. So I put some cardstock in my printer. I hit print. Boom. It spit it out. I cut it to size, put it in an envelope, walked over to mom's chair, and said, Mom, you're good to go. You don't have to worry about it anymore. She looked up at me, and I could always tell from the look of her eyes if she was you know, all there at that moment or not. She looked at me crystal clear. She opens up this envelope. She reads it. She says, oh, I'm going to show Father Tim this one. <laughs> and she did. And from that moment on, she put it in her handbag. And anytime anyone came to visit over the next few weeks, um, she'd say, oh, I have to show you what Brida got for me. And the conversation was funny and we laughed, and, and it just brought her such a joy. She never asked me again about the bus schedule, and I was so grateful for that moment that I had the presence of mind to think about what would be meaningful to her. And I have to tell you, I have never in my life, before then or since then, done anything so creative. And I know that God was with me there when I was sitting at that computer thinking, how can I help her, what could I do? But I had also gotten a good night's sleep the night before, so I think I did my part for that. So when you are open and when you take care of yourself, you're better able to think clearly and to really solve problems. Creative problems, solving creative problems requires mental agility. So you are not doing anyone a favor if you're running on empty. If you're not taking good care of yourself, how are you possibly going to solve problems and deal with the challenges that come before you as a caregiver? So this is something that I, uh, I often use as my example. It's my little cup of stress. You've heard of cup of soup, right? Well, this is cup of stress because you can squeeze this thing all day long and no one goes to jail. <laughs> but the thing to remember is that you can't pour from an empty cup. If you don't replenish yourself, your spirit, your soul, your body, how are you ever going to be able to care for anyone else? So what I think about is if only we had some tools. You know, there is no, no toolkit that we get when we start out on this journey. But what if we had some tools and some ideas? And the tools that I'm going to talk about with you right now are transferable. So if you think, well, this is only for caregivers, I'm here to tell you, I use this stuff all day long at my, in my work, my PDJ at the University of Michigan, and with lots of people. But the secret is, I don't tell them that I'm doing this. And the first one is one of my favorites. And uh, if we could play a game. So how many here like to play bingo occasionally? Or if you were my Auntie Lily, like four nights a week, she would play bingo. It's not a problem. Anyway, um, mental bingo, though, is my favorite. So what mental bingo is, and you want to be important to keep it mental bingo, do not write this stuff down. Do not put it in a computer. I don't want anything to be subpoenaed, you know, because you could get in trouble here. So on mental bingo, at the top, instead of having no, the, the letters B-I-N-G-O, what you want to do is put in the behaviors or the words that people say or do that get under your skin that just irritate the living daylights out of you. And they might not mean anything about it, or they might be rude or inconsiderate. 
But my mom would often ask the same question all the time. And when you're in a caregiver situation, what somebody else might think, isn't that cute? Isn't that sweet how your mom says that all the time? And I'm thinking, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> but if it's on your bingo card, instead of getting annoyed when she says it or when she does it, I just check it off. And then when she says it five times, I get to say, bingo! <laughs> so I did this at uh, a presentation for all the administrative assistants at, um, at, at the university. And uh, I gave the presentation. And by 11.30, I had received three emails from coworkers who said, Prita, I've already said bingo five times, thank you. <laughs> and it was a tool to, because you know, you can't change the way other people behave, right? but you can change how you respond. So turn it into a game, and don't let them allow you, don't let it get under your skin. Find a way that you know they're gonna say it. I, I have a coworker who repeatedly sends emails with gr grammatical errors, and I'm thinking she's never heard a spell check, but it's bad sentences, it's awful. And at first, I would say, I can't believe she said that. Can you believe she said that? Isn't that just awful? I can't believe she wouldn't proofread this before she sends it. Now, I get an email from her, and I think, ooh, I wonder what treats await me. <laughs> and I, I open up the email, and I read it, and instead of getting really irritated and annoyed by her style of sending emails, now I think, okay, that's, I'm going to check that one off, and some days I do get to say bingo with her, but that's another story. Another thing that I think about is your phone. Now, I don't know about you. Does, uh, do most people here have phones, I'm thinking? Yeah. So if you have an iPhone, when I look at my phone, there's a little icon in the top corner, that little, little battery symbol, right? I look at that. Do you ever check that when you first? That's one of the first things I look at when I look at my phone. And if it says 70%, woohoo, I'm good, ready to go. If it says 50%, I'm thinking, I'm okay. Sorry, I, I'm good. If it says 20%, I might start sweating a little bit. If it gets to the red line, I'm looking for a Best Buy to buy a power cord, okay? <laughs> because I depend on my phone so much for communication. So I charge my phone every night, and I don't begrudge it. I don't think less of my phone because it demands to be charged. Because if I don't charge it, what happens? It just, it's dead, it's just gone, it, it just stops. So what I think about it is that I realize this is why they call it an iPhone, because it's so selfish. It demands to be taken care of. We take better care of our devices than we take care of ourselves. So if you've ever felt guilty about taking a nap, you're just charging your batteries, it's fine, it's good. You know, you've got your, your phone plugged in and, and you need to take a nap, you need to go for a walk, you need to go somewhere, you need to take care of yourself because you're not going to function at the level that you want to if you don't do that. So what I want to talk to you about is that self-care is not selfish, it is survival, and that we want to have a self-care strategy. This is really important. It can't just be, oh, well, yeah, someday I'll take a nap someday. Or I might, you know, go for a walk in the woods someday. I just don't have time today. I just can't do that. So you need to make that plan. And what I want to suggest to you is think of it this way. Every day, you should do one time something every day that is your moment. For me, it's having a cup of tea on my screen porch. I love that. And I'm, today would be a good day. End of October, it's pretty well done, but then I'll find a spot. Maybe you have to go to your basement. I don't know where you have to go, but it's by yourself that you can enjoy a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, maybe an adult beverage. No judgment here. I don't know. Um, but whatever you enjoy, maybe it's having an ice-cold Diet Coke or something like that that's a treat. But give that to yourself, but most importantly, acknowledge it, saying, "This is. I'm going to have my cup of tea on the porch right now, and I'm going to enjoy it. And don't just gulp it down, but think about it. The next thing is one time per week. What could you do one time per week that you could look forward to and plan? Maybe it's taking a hot bath rather than taking a shower. Maybe it's going for a, a walk in a, in, a, in a beautiful scenic wooded area that you enjoy. Um, maybe, I don't know. It, it doesn't have to necessarily take a long time or cost a lot of money, 
but you need to realize you are doing things for yourself that will replenish your spirit. Maybe and the next thing is what's once a month? Maybe you'll go to the movies once a month. Maybe you'll have lunch with a friend once a month. Think of what that means. And then once a year, maybe this is a big splurge. Maybe this is going for a car trip or planning a, a vacation or going um, up to the Upper Peninsula or something that's special that you can anticipate it and enjoy it. Remember what I said about my mom, one of the happiest times in her life was when she had booked a trip, when she had, then she enjoyed the anticipation and she enjoyed the actual experience. So do that for yourself. Don't wait for someone to give you permission unless it's me. I'm giving you all permission right now to do this. You could say, oh, that woman, yeah, she said we could do it. It's all good. It's fine. So what is your superpower? Can I confess to you what mine is? Yes? You want to hear? My superpower, and I know I'm bragging here, I can nap. I can nap anywhere, anytime. I can take a nap for 15 minutes and think it's the next day. I'm in such a deep sleep. I think it's like self-hypnosis or something. I don't know what it is, but I am so grateful. I used to feel really guilty about it. I would think, oh, he's so lazy. But if I find my, I'm like the Energizer Bunny. You know, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, and I find myself winding down. And if I don't stop, it's ugly. It's ugly. I mean, I'm making mistakes. I'm, I'm cranky. It's just not good. So now I realize if I take that 15 or 20 minutes, charge my batteries, I'm good to go for a long time afterwards. But I have to acknowledge that and do it. So what are some self-care ideas? And that's why I want you to think about what do you do to charge your own batteries? That's your superpower. So what, are there some other ideas besides the nap club, which I'd like to be the queen of? But uh, anybody else do anything? Yes. Crafts. Crafts, exactly. That's wonderful. I have a big pile of good intentions I call my craft supply. <laughs> it always seems like a good idea when I'm in the store, you know. But doing crafts can be very, very good. Very good. Anybody else? I saw another hand. Yes. Gardening. Gardening. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can get out there and get your hands in the dirt. Pull those weeds out and, you know, think of all those people on that bingo chart and, you know, you're good. That's wonderful. I'm a recovering brown thumb, so I love people who are gardeners because I didn't get that gene. Any other ideas? What do you do to charge your batteries? Sewing. Sewing. Yes, and then you have the benefit. You have beautiful things for yourself or other people. That's wonderful. Yeah, sewing. Lunch with friends. Where did I hear someone say that? Yes, food and friends, what a great, you're covering two things then, because you're also not feeling isolated, and you have that social connection. Um, a friend of mine is one of the, the, the head researcher at the University of Michigan Alzheimer's Center, and he talks about that the four things that people can do to either prevent or minimize um, Alzheimer's disease, and three of them to me were really obvious, and one was diet, exercise, um, and good sleep. And the fourth thing he said is the most important, and that is socialization. That if you can maintain socialization, it's the single most important thing you can do to prevent or at least maintain um, Alzheimer's disease. So I don't know who wouldn't want to do that, right? Any other ideas? Walk. Walk, yes. Yes, walking is huge. And if you can get out there, whether you need assistance with, with a walker or other devices, um, or even if it's just around the block, you're outside and you're feeling good. Absolutely. And did you have an idea? Taking photographs and posting them on Instagram. Love it! <laughs> Taking photographs and posting them on Instagram. God bless you. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Just sharing with people. You know, sometimes people say they don't like to be on social media because there's so much negativity. And I guess I'm thinking, I must just be really lucky that everybody who's on my feed and people, I, I have four rules when I post things on Facebook. Is it inspiring? Is it helpful? Actually, three. Is it inspiring? Is it helpful? Or is it funny? And if it's one of those three things, then I would like to post it. And if it doesn't fit those three things, I don't share it, I don't post it. And so I tend to, what I put out is what I get back. And so either I just don't, you know, any of the crankiness or the negativity that's on social media, um, I don't participate. And I'm so delighted that you can find a great outlet like that. And it's just right there. That's exciting.
Any other thoughts of superpowers? I think we've got some good ideas there. Do you think you did? So this is my dear, sweet mother-in-law, Cassie. And Cassie had Alzheimer's. She passed away in February, the day before her 90th birthday. She was 89 years of age. And we had given my sister-in-law some respite, and she was spending a weekend with us. But every day brings new challenges. And so to, for her to feel part of the family and doing things, we were just coming up with stuff. So that day, I was taking things out of the china cabinet, and all the china and glassware that was wrapped up in tissue. So she folded it. And, and she enjoyed doing that, and it took a long time, and she was really happy about it. Um, but you have to f come up with different creative ways that are really productive and helpful. So what I want to do now is, um, this is my favorite affirmation. So if you are able, could you please stand? And if not, you can do it from your seat. And we're going to do the caregiver affirmation. So remember what Rosalind Carter says, even if you're not currently a caregiver, it could happen. So. There's, there's, this is the aerobic portion, right? So we have some hand movements, full choreography. Are you up for it? Okay, good, good. Okay, so it's, I am a caregiver. I am courageous, Superman pose. I am courageous. I am compassionate. I care for others. And I care for myself. Okay, now let's do it with great enthusiasm, right? I am a caregiver. I am courageous. I am compassionate. I care for others. And I care for myself. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Don't forget that affirmation. So I often think about... Um, the power of threes. And you've heard about journaling being a really powerful thing to do. Every night before you go to bed, you could write things down in a journal, just three things. What three things went well? What three things maybe didn't go as badly as you thought they might go? <laughs> Think of three things, because what will happen is you will fill your mind with the positive things that have happened that day, and you will have an attitude of gratitude rather than saying, oh, I can't believe I snapped at mom, or I should have done that, oh, I missed that opportunity. We can beat ourselves up all day long, and it doesn't do anybody any good. But we can say, I, when you do make a mistake and you do have a challenge, that I can learn from this. And you know what? Next time I'll do better. Next time I'll, I'll know. I, I, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad caregiver. But it'll be better, and every day is a new opportunity to do that. We're going to do something now just for, it's called a speed chat. Are you up for it? It's fast, so don't worry. If you don't like it, it doesn't last long. <laughs> so what I, if, there's, um, if you can choose groups of three at each table, looks like it might work out pretty well, two or three at each table. And this only lasts for 45 seconds, and I'm going to ask you to do a question and each person will give an answer. So it's 45 seconds. You only have 15 seconds to give your answer. So it's just a couple of sentences, and make sure that um, each of the three people or two people have a chance to participate. Are you ready? Okay, so here is the first question. If you had a do-over, say in the last six months, what would it be? If you had a do-over, and begin now. Don't you love these? The world's tiniest symbols. I love this. I love this exercise because I get to do that. Okay. Cheap thrills, right? That's on my list. Okay, the next question is, what turned out, and it doesn't have to be about caregiving, it could be anything, what turned out way better than you expected in the last year? Go. Okay. And the last one. What's one idea that you heard today from this program or from people at your table that you might try. You ready? Go. Okay. So what do you think of that? Isn't it amazing in 45 seconds how much you can share and learn and to share ideas? I hope that you really have 
picked up on some thoughts and some ideas today. I have a couple of gifts that I want to give to you. And on, on your way out the door, there'll be a table there, and these are free. Um, first of all, this is a piece that I, I love this. It's been around for a long time, and different organizations have used it for different reasons. I won't read the whole thing, but I've made copies so that you can share it. And I'll just read a few. It's called Just for Today. Just for today, I will live through the next 12 hours and not try to tackle all of life's problems at once. Just for today, I will improve my mind. I will learn something useful. I will read something that requires thought. Just for today, I will be agreeable. I will look my best, speak in a well-modulated voice, be courteous and considerate. Just for today, I will not find fault with a friend, relative, or colleague. I will not try to change or improve anyone but myself. Just for today, I will do a good deed and keep it a secret. And just for today, I will believe in myself. I will give my best to the world and feel confident to the world that the world will give its best to me. So I have copies of this for you, and if you're familiar with it, I hope that you... It's, it's, it's truly an oldie but a goodie that this is good. The other thing is that, you know, getting back to, you know, the biggest priority in my life, which is quality napping. Um, but one of the hardest things when you go to take a nap is people interrupting you, right? Really hard. So. When I speak, I, I stay at hotels a lot, and I realize, you know, hotels have it right. They have that do not disturb sign. Wouldn't that be cool if we had that at home and that people would listen to it? I thought, hmm, but I think we need to have a little bit of fun with that. So I have learned a lesson. If you want to say anything that's even a little bit rude, if you put it in a fancy font, people don't mind so much, okay? <laughs> so I came up with the caregiver, little door, door saver for rest, and it says, go away. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in font, it's nice, you know, it's, it's polite. Go away, give me a break, I'm taking a break before I break, thank you. <laughs> so you can each get one of these to hang on your door to give a cue to the world that just now I'm taking a break, just, just leave me alone. And on the back it says, self-care isn't selfish, it's survival, just in case anyone questions about why you're needing this nap. So um, on, my, on my website, there is uh, some free stuff that I want to make sure that you know about. Um, that there are, uh, one of the things that caregivers need to do is find funny, to find something funny, to lighten it up when you're just stressed out. But I found that I was too exhausted to remember what movies were funny or where to find them or anything like that. So I compiled a list. And they're not my favorite necessarily, but there's a list of uh, TV shows and movies. So if you're going to go on Netflix or Amazon or go to the library and, and, and check out a DVD, you can take a look at this list and you might say, oh, I love that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Or why, what, why did she put this on this list? This is not funny. Or your favorite is not on there. That's okay, because there's room at the bottom that you can write in your favorites. But it might trigger some fun memories, um, and it's just to make it a little bit easier for you to do that. And there's a few other um, items that you can download for free. Just print them up or just look at them on the website, and I hope that they will be helpful to you. So um, I want to close by telling you to something, a lesson that I learned this summer, and that is never say never. I was voted in my high school to be the last person in the world to get a tattoo. And I was truly, I'm not fond of tattoos, you know? I don't get it. I don't think they're attractive. I don't think they're, you know, people talk about their tattoos all the time and they get lots of them and, you know, good for them, but it was never something that I wanted to do. Well, earlier in the year, January, um, my brother gave my husband and I a gift, the one that works for American Airlines. He says, you know, I really appreciate all that you did for mom. And I want to give you and Jim two tickets anywhere American Airlines flies. And I'm thinking, really? New Zealand, Australia, Fiji, somewhere beaches, beautiful. And my husband said to me, you know, Brita, I'd really like to walk the Camino again. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> and I thought about it, and he had just turned 66. And I thought, you know, I didn't have a really strong idea about where I wanted to go. I was open to anything. You know, the opening of a donut shop, I'm there. You know, really, I, I, 
I'm open to lots of things, but I knew this was really, really meaningful and important to him. And I thought, if I didn't, if we didn't do this, who knows if he could do it next year? His knees could blow out. I mean, things happen to people, right? So I said, okay. And I kind of thought, I'm going to win wife of the year because I've agreed to do this. And we started training, and we looked, I said, I don't think I can do 500 miles. I mean, I've never done a 5K, okay? I am not an athletic person. But we started training and bought good shoes and hiking poles, and I started reading about it, and then I really got nervous. And we chose a different route. We went the Portugal, Portuguese route from Porto, Portugal to Santiago, Spain, which was 200 miles. Yes. And we decided to go in August because of my work schedule at the university. It was the only time I could go. Most people that walk the Camino go in spring or fall. They're very smart people because in August, it's very hot. So we left August 15th, and I don't know if you heard about the record-breaking heat in Europe. Yes, I was there. 100 degrees, backpack, we're walking. We didn't stay in hostels. But you know what? It was one of the best things I've ever done. We completed it, and at the end of it, he had wanted to get a tattoo, and the symbol of the, of the Camino is the shell, and St. James wore the shell, a, a giant seashell, around his neck all the time, and he used it to baptize people. And I thought, I was feeling pretty proud of myself to say, I've done 200 miles, okay, I don't want to forget this. And I thought, well, you know what? If ever there was something that I might want to get a tattoo for, it would be to remind me that I can do much more than I ever thought that I could be capable of doing at nearly 60 years of age, and that this is something that I just am blown away by. So I got a tattoo. <laughs> and there's also, there's Celtic symbols in Galicia, the northern part of Spain. There's an awful lot of Celtic influence, and I was surprised by that. So I got that symbol. Well, here's the thing about tattoos. Just like real estate, it's location, location, location. So when you look at it, it looks as I hoped it would. When I look at it, I'm looking at a Mayan clown every day for the rest of my life. So it looks like a clown face on my arm. <laughs> so I want to suggest to you that you never know where inspiration will come. It could come from a wonderful homily. It could come from reading a book. It could come from watching a movie. It could be listening to a speaker. I thank you all so much for coming today. I hope that I have planted a seed in your mind and in your heart so that you will give yourself a break before you break. Thank you so much.